All right. Welcome to the Four for Friday podcast. We have another special episode today. My, I'm Michael Gurley. My co-host, Will, uh, is not uh, available this week for the second sad week in a row. But we do have a silver lining to all that, which is a guest co-host, uh, one of my favorite people, uh, in Brett Piat, who is a fellow San Antonian here and has a lot of insights and good opinions, um, which is why I'm excited he's here today and graciously agreed to do it. So Brett, you want to give a kind of a one minute introduction and, and background of yourself, and then we'll jump into the questions. Uh, so I'm a, a recovering uh, podcast host myself, uh, talking about cyber talk radio with folks. Uh, I do computers and business and real estate and a whole bunch of things. And uh, yeah, I'll give you a hot sports take on whatever two questions you want to ask me today. <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. And I think uh, I, you've heard me say this multiple times, but I'm a total homer for San Antonio and, and love it here and do things for the city. You do an order of magnitude more than I do. And it, I'm so impressed by the amount of energy you have. So um, it, it is one of your most admirable traits amongst your others. Every hour you spend in the CrossFit gym, Michael, is an hour you could be doing something else for the city. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, thanks for the guilt trip there. Okay. So the way the show works is uh, we ask each other four questions of interesting topics, uh, and we talk about them for about a half an hour, and hopefully they're as interesting to other folks as they are to us. So uh, the first one comes from me, so I will ask, I will ask you. Uh, and I almost called you Will there, so <laughs> that's fine. The patterns are hard to break. Yes. Okay, so question number one, uh, Brett. Both you and I are active on social media. Should you be authentic on social media? Uh, yes, I mean it, it, you should be authentic everywhere. Um, life is too short to not be authentic. It's exhausting. Uh, I mean, so now uh, social media, you're having a public conversation. Even if you think you're replying to a tweet or you're posting on just your friend's Facebook wall, this is not a, a private conversation. This is a, a public forum. Uh, so you should be authentic in the same way you would in any other public forum. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting, the question behind this question to me that's very interesting is as I've watched, especially on on Twitter, that is the that is a unique that is a unique social media platform because you have both real life people and you have anonymous people and they're interacting together just like everything's perfectly normal around ideas. Uh, and as I, you know, I dug into that idea and I started to wa watch people and then I would hear things in and facts and things that would come back channel through, through real life. Uh, and I started to realize that a lot of those people, even if they are seemingly authentically themselves on Twitter, are really playing a character. Like they're a caricature of themselves, which I found fascinating. Like I, I didn't realize until I got into Twitter that that was that middle ground that, that would exist. Yeah. So you're the, the sar sarcastic Michael on Twitter, that sort of thing. Where you no, it's like sarcastic in real life. Yeah. I would say to, to elaborate on that, like there are people on there that, for example, make it seem like they're totally self-made or like they're only investing their own money, but in the background, they're really just, they're not as high net worth as they really are. Right. And they're money managers. So like, oh. I know that's going on. So like that well, kind that of is, stuff. Is, but that is their authentic self. They pretend to be that person. In, <laughs> if you run into them at a restaurant or at a, a gala or anywhere else. So they are being their authentic self on Twitter. They just are inauthentic all the time. <laughs> so, okay. So you could be authentically inauthentic is what you're saying? Well, you could be consistently inauthentic. Yeah. Well, it's super interesting. Like, 
the more I dig into what I consider ethical, stylistic, and moral things around stuff like this, like I just couldn't imagine doing that. Like it, it just seems so wrong to me. Um, to and and I it starts to make me wonder, like how how unique is my worldview about some of these things? Because I think I have very strong beliefs about not doing stuff like that. Like what? Why? Like I, I just it. You could see I'm just like totally, totally my mind is blown that somebody would choose to be, you know, deceitful as a life. Yeah. And I would say it's exhausting. So, uh, yeah. Don't, don't do uh, it. I, I, that's my advice is to not do it. Yeah. You'll keep your blood pressure much lower. You'll enjoy life. You could go out and have three cocktails and you don't have to worry about trying to keep your story straight because your story just is your story and you're yourself all the time. Those are those folks like where you see them, they have like one cocktail at a party because they're afraid to have three because if they yeah. have three, then they might actually let out their real story or expose their real self. And if you're just your real self all the time, then you can go out and have fun. That I appreciate. Okay, that's fantastic. All right, and so you have the second question. I do. So... Um, with the, the rise of Airbnb, VRBO, Inspirato, all of these kind of high-end home vacation rental options, uh, should you now go out and buy a vacation home for yourself still, or is it just rent from one of those and then invest your money elsewhere? So it, it's just a quick side question. Inspirato, is that like a really fancy Airbnb? Like if Airbnb is not fancy enough, you go to Inspirato? Well, in Inspirato, he has like a membership fee to join then to get access to the listings even. Oh, so it's like, okay. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Um, okay, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think, I think vacation home ownership is going to go down dramatically. And the, the, one of the data points I have, you know, my family owns a handful of vacation homes. And, I, you know, I'm hearing baby boomers in my family just say like, hey, uh, owning vacation homes is dumb. If we're only going to be using it for three weeks a year and we're stuck to go to the same place, like we should totally, you know, spread this out and just rent. And then it, it, and I think the other thing that people forget when they own these vacation homes, it becomes a second job, like dealing with bees and rust and your dishwasher goes out. Like you, it's a whole doubles your home maintenance. Like it's a lot of work. So I, I think ownership of these kind of vacation homes is going to go way down. And as a generation Xer, I have no interest in owning one, zero. So in the ones that you, you do own, are they now run as rental properties where they're rented out in between, or they just sit vacant except for three weeks a year? They sit vacant, okay. except for when the family uses them, which yeah. tends to be three weeks to a month a year. So I, I guess, so you think that these vacation properties, they're, they're hard to find them on the market right now. Are they just getting bought up by professional landlords that are turning them into Airbnbs or are, are like individuals still going out there and buying these things? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. It, we're we're going to sell one. <laughs> That's yeah. what I heard. I was going to say, because if, if you look at all these vacation home places, the prices are higher than ever. Right. Um, and the inventory is almost non-existent. So yeah, I, I don't know. I've been just I'm following real estate and trying to figure out these trends with COVID. Yeah. Maybe people are just permanently moving to vacation towns. This may be a topic for uh, another day as we go and do some more research. Like if, if, do you need to live in a major metro anymore or should you just buy a house in a vacation town right. to live as your primary residence? 
Well, I think that's my my long term goal is to to be uh, peripatetic. Like the, they talk about, you move around. It's not it's not being nomadic. It's actually you move around and stay in different places for a period of time. Like, okay, we're gonna go live for six months in Santa Monica, like and stay in a place there, and then we're gonna go do the same thing in the mountains, and we're gonna go to Vancouver, and then we'll be back. And like, I think that totally supports not owning as as an idea, right? You just rent and you keep things easy, and then the next person moves on. Um, so yeah, given that, and I don't think I'm alone, it'll surprise me if if the the purchasing continues at the rate it is. But a, a mutual friend of ours uh, that that shall remain anonymous, um, he told me he's in the home construction business. He told me starts are up fifty percent last year versus versus uh, the year before uh, this year compared to last year. Um, they just they thought things were going to go crater during COVID, and it went the other way around. They're busier than they ever thought they would be. So somebody's buying those homes. Yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, as growing up with uh, some kids that are older now watching the sweet life of Zach and Cody, I could totally see uh, after I'm a full empty nester of just living in a hotel. Yeah. Like the idea of not even having to worry about not only just any maintenance on the house, but not even worry about changing my sheets anymore. They just get changed every day automatically for me. Yeah. The, well, the hotel, you just have to worry about somebody knocking on the door while you're sleeping in. <laughs> doesn't sound great. Yeah. <laughs> very cool well what do you think so you think you think do you think that pattern's going to happen or, or kick the question back to you yeah I, so i think i would only own a vacation home if i was also owning it as an investment so yeah. like i would i could see having an owner's closet like where you lock up personal belongings so you could fly there without having to pack a suitcase uh but i, I couldn't a stomach uh having it sit empty 11 months out of the year um, i just i have a hard time underutilizing assets it's just a, a thing of my personality if i'm gonna own it we're gonna spend the money on the asset then we're gonna use the daylights out of it it's why i've gone down to a scooter from having two cars we we had two cars in the household as adults but the second car we were only putting about 2500 miles a year on it you start doing the math and it was costing me like eight or nine dollars a mile to own that car uh, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense it's going to be interesting how stuff shifts. How stuff shifts. All right, let's move on to the third question. Um, here, this one's from me to you. Uh, and this has been a lot on Twitter and social media. So I'm curious what you think. Should remote workers who move to cheap areas get paid the same high wages that they got paid when they lived in high cost areas? So you're, the example here is you're a California Bay Area person. You live in San Francisco. You're making high-end Bay Area money, six or $700,000 a year, uh, and you move to a place that costs a third. Let's take the worst. You move to Alabama. So you're in Alabama. Should should Facebook or whoever was paying you before, should they reduce your salary or do you deserve to keep getting paid the same amount? So uh, I'm going to give the uh, the classic it depends answer. So I think <laughs> what, what you had before is you had local labor markets. So you were if you were Facebook and you wanted people to be at your office in the, the Silicon Valley, then you were competing in a local labor market and you had to pay those local labor market rates. Mm -hmm. Once Facebook makes the decision, this job can be a anywhere in the US job. Now they're looking at US wages for that role. If you choose to live in a really expensive spot, I think that's on you as a person. Um, but then it even opens up further and you go outside of the, the US to a global labor market. So now Facebook decides 
you know what, not only does this person not need to come into our office, but they don't even need to be able to be in the same time zone. They don't need to be able to uh, fly to uh, the office for uh, an offsite or affordably or often, um, or maybe they don't even need to be able to come into the country or they don't need to be able to operate under one set of laws. Then I think it expands the labor market out and you're going to get paid whatever you would demand in that market. So uh, I, I think about this very much like a, there's been a lot of the top end Silicon Valley engineers for years that have moved to places like New Mexico or out right. to the desert in Arizona, and they've been able to keep their same wages because they are the world's best. Um, and if you are a company and you want to hire the world's best uh, MySQL database uh, architect and admin and engineer in your Facebook you don't care where that person lives as long as they take care of your database infrastructure so you can serve posts in a timeline, move to wherever you want, and you're going to pay that person whatever they demand in the market because they create a bunch of value for you. Yeah. But if you are a middle of the pack, um, it's kind of like the, the person sitting on the end of the bench in the NBA or the end of the bench in, in the NFL, there's a league minimum there. And those sort of league minimum kind of players that were in the Bay Area getting $300,000, $500,000 a year moving to somewhere else, they're no longer going to demand that because now they're in a different labor pool with different sets of competition. Yeah. So it sounds like you're in the, you know, there's this, there, there's this labor first, labor first set of ideas that come out of a lot of folks, right? Like you, 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 the, the employees should not have to do certain things during the interview process. They should not have to do th certain things around their job. They should get paid. There should be equal pay for equal work is one of the themes that kind of comes out of that. Um, you know, it sounds like you're much more on the free marketeer side of stuff, right? Which is people are going to have to figure out what value they're going to offer to employers and, and do the, the natural things that happens in capitalism. Like how, how are they going to offer a service that's unique, differentiated and better than the next guy uh, in order to maintain those high wages? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a uh, unabashed free market capitalist. Uh, there's drawbacks to free market capitalism. I think the draw that it's the least worst of all the systems out there. And you you look at like on the, the job interviewing, you shouldn't have to do stuff. But I'll go back to my sports take again. If you want to get drafted, and you want to be in the NFL, even though they have hundreds of hours of video watching you play in high school and college, they still ask you to show up at a combine and do yet another set of tests. So, mm -hmm. and do real practical things to prove that you can throw the ball, you can run, you can jump, you can execute on the reading that you need to do to be a player in the NFL. I think it's not unrealistic here if you're hiring people into company to ask them to do practical work during the interview process to demonstrate they have the skills and capability to execute what you're hiring them to do. Right. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of using a personality assessment tools and, and different kind of tools out there to assess folks um, when they're applying. And, and I, I, I've been surprised at the high percentage of people that just refuse to do that kind of stuff. They're just like, no. oh, 15 minutes. I'm not going to do it. Well, yeah, you know, like the people, the quarterbacks in college that don't want to take the Wonderlick test. Uh, guess what? They're probably not getting drafted by an NFL team. Yeah. So yeah, you can opt out of that stuff all you'd like. Um, it just it's going to limit the your number of options as a labor provider um, because some of the people that are looking for your skills and labor they're going to have certain requirements. You need to decide whether you want to go through or not. Yep, makes sense. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's move on to our last question. You have that one. 
Yes, I do. Okay, so this COVID year, this this almost relates to the last question a bit because we've got this the traffic spreading out, people aren't commuting to work anymore. So what should cities do with all the money they're saving uh, because they don't have to build new roads with since traffic is down due to COVID um, and it really looks like it's going to stay that way. Yeah, unfortunately, I think they're going to have to spend all that money on continuing to pay the entitlements and salaries that they owe to all their employees. So <laughs> with tax, with sales tax revenues going way down and potentially property tax revenues going down, I think that money's going to get spent just to keep the lights on down at the city hall and the county. So, so is the, that, is that not what you're looking this, for? Well, I was to say this just, uh, basically this just, uh, this plugs the leak in the, uh, the, the, the dam is what right. you're saying that yeah, right. revenue is going to go down. And so the expense they're going to cut is the expense that went away. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you just look here at, at San Antonio, how much of our, our budget is dependent upon travel, tourism, uh, retail sales, sales tax. Uh, that all shut off like a light last year. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't really have a chance to lay off much, much of anybody except for some of the folks that were working very specifically in the convention and, and that sort of stuff, industries for the city running the convention center and stuff like that. So uh, I haven't looked at our budget, but just seeing what people are talking about the San Francisco budget and other cities, like, I think that money's been spent. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, so, some of it's also earmarked though, right? Because a lot of that new road money is bond money and they can't, it's not fungible. Yeah. So if, so you've got this big pile of bond road money, do you use it to make current roads prettier? I guess, yeah, that's an interesting one. So this money's already laid out for it. You don't need to build more lanes of traffic or new roads. What do you do with the, do you, you can't return bond money either. Can you, I don't even know how some of this stuff works. I don't think you can. I think it's spent. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, my, my prejudgment, I would, I think they should take that money and invest it in the people. Unfortunately, that's, there's very few vested interests that are that excited about more money going to K through 12 education or, or public ed in terms of the, the, the graduates programs and that sort of thing, or even the continuing type stuff like code up, like, like we should be spending an order of magnitude more money on that and much less on some of these physical, physical products. When, when arguably our economy is moving way past the era of being physically product dominated. Right. It's that it's we're in an intellectual property economy now and we're spending all of our money on physical improvements and buildings and edifices and convention centers when what matters is what's in people's brains. And uh, I think there's just a huge disconnect that the world has changed. We just haven't noticed it yet. Well, so speaking about this tax revenue, so if I'm a big manufacturer and I build a manufacturing plant, then I pay a bunch of property taxes. But if I'm a software company and I build a bunch of software, which creates capital asset but you don't pay property taxes on your source code. No. Uh, no, so huh. this is the, the tax code incentivizes them to do this last generation behavior. I don't know, that's a, a question for another time. We're on our way yeah. to number five. <laughs> well, I mean, it is it is an interesting thing. So like I, I went on Twitter six or seven months ago and like everybody else, I was like, all right, forget all these intellectual property, licensing, software, technology businesses, like, um, brokerages. Like I want to build something. I want to start a company that I like, build some stuff. And then I spent six months trying to get a water hookup for a coffee shack. And I was like, screw this. This is the worst. 
I'm going to go, you know, I could have had software written by some overseas people and already been selling it and making money and not have to worry about any of that stuff. And the stupid bureaucrats, no offense to them, but sometimes they're stupid, arguing about whose jurisdiction was like, like the whole system here is unfortunately skewed way against physical product businesses. Like it is just like you're going through the process of buying a building right now. Like it's 10 times longer than it needs to be for for the reason solely to suit the bureaucratic processes and the the basically the taxation collection that they want to do at each step and it's just it's it's a total impact on the economy very frustrating yeah uh, the, the fact that you you have to that uh, you can write software if you just show up and get hired and convince an employer you can write software but if you want to cut hair you have to go get a license yeah yeah yeah, and there's well, I think there's an interesting argument that's been made that you know unions have been busted uh, by and large in most of these industries, which is good, but it's been replaced by this regulatory capture of you have to go get a you know a um, a license to become an electrician, and that's reduced the supply there, so those people get paid really well, and you have to have two thousand hours of apprenticeship to even get on a job site, like all of that. What unions used to do to push people's you know, jobs and job salaries up. Now that's been replaced by basically the government giving them a limitation on supply. So it's, it's the same thing with the haircutters. <laughs> I think yeah. the, the barbers. Wow. You got me on a total soapbox. These are like, you yeah. had like the three or four gridley things. Yeah. There we go. Good. <laughs> personal. You want to go back to personal integrity? I'll talk about that one again too. <laughs> uh, well, so have we have we been doing this for long enough? I'm I'm bad uh, being a guest on the podcast. Yeah, no, we're great. We're like because I, I don't look at the clock as no, a guest. Yeah, we're, this is more we're, fun. We're about 20, 22, 24 minutes in, so it's been perfect. Well, so in in closing, Brett, I know you've got uh, a day job and stuff like that. You were gracious to take out of your time today to be part of this. How how can people be supportive of you? I know there's the Jungle Disc business, um, which is definitely always looking for customers. Is that right? Yeah, no, we, if, if you're a small business out there and you would uh, like to keep your data safe on the internet, we provide some secure storage, second backup copies of things, and we'll uh, help protect you from all the evil folks out there looking to make uh, an extra buck off of uh, your behind. Yeah, that's great. And that's at jungledisc.com, right? Correct. Perfect. All right, man. Hey, great job by you. I'm so glad to spend, well, what was this 28 minutes with you and we'll get this up and get it out to the universe of the internet so they can all enjoy our thoughts. Uh, I might get another two followers on Twitter. It'll be good. <laughs> you can do it. All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk very soon. See you next week. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. 